Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. Lee Stranahan, thank you. It was a privilege for me to meet you last weekend. You're tuned into Radio Stranahan. And now, here's your presenter, Lee Stranahan. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Lee Stranahan, welcome to Radio Stranahan. It is Monday, and if it's Monday, John McCain must be saying something stupid. We have a big show today talking all about these allegations of Russian hacking, making you smarter, as I do every day, since I am America's finest journalist, making you smarter every day. And today we're going to be focused on these allegations of Russian hacking and how they tie in to what's going on in Aleppo, Syria right now. I know you haven't heard anybody in the media talking about this, and that's because I'm smarter than they are. And therefore, I can share stuff with you that is completely provable. We're also going to go through a story that nobody's telling you. We're going to give you some background. John McCain and Lindsey Graham also come out and called for congressional investigations, a Senate investigation into the allegations of Russian hacking. And we'll be talking about John McCain and Lindsey Graham. And we're going to be talking about how the Saudi Arabians tie into this whole thing. And again, that's something you're not hearing about. Everybody's talking about Russia in the mainstream media. No one's talking about Saudi Arabia. And you know what? I think that just may be the point. The point may be that they want you to talk about Russia and they don't want you to talk about Saudi Arabia. And by they, I mean not just the Democrats, not just Lindsey Graham and John McCain, not just the CIA, but their close friend and compatriot, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, or as I like to call it, the kingdom. It's a little tricky calling it the kingdom because it makes it sound like a magical place where you might go on a roller coaster, but it's different. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's not magic. So shall we put it that way? It's not magic. And of course, we'll be taking your calls as usual. If you want to call in and talk to us, the number 619-924-0786. The number again, 619-924-0786. We have a packed show today. Two big guests. National Security Consultant David Raboy, talking about John McCain's background with Syria, who he supports, who works for him now, and why. And also later next hour, we'll have Terry Stroud. She's with the families of the 9-11 victims who've been seeking justice for 15 years. This is unbelievable. It's still going on. 15 years later, it's still going on. We'll be talking to Terry Stroud about how she was stabbed in the back by, that's right, you guessed it, John McCain and Lindsey Graham. John McCain and Lindsey Graham, a cute couple, by the way. You figure that out. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. So let's start to tie all this stuff in. So let's talk about what happened in the news today. So this morning, let's go back to yesterday. Let's go all the way back to yesterday. Oh, heck. Instead, let's go all the way back to June. 
so back in June, a hacker who goes by the name Guccifer 2.0, and I say he goes by the name because I assume his real name is not Guccifer 2.0, although that's coming. If you've ever read Snow Crash, that kind of thing is coming. If you haven't, just skip the reference because I'm not going to explain it. But Guccifer 2.0 is the hacker. First, let's get this out of the way. I'm going to be smarter than the CIA. There's no question who the hacker is. It's Guccifer 2.0. So back in June, this hacker, Guccifer 2.0, we'll talk about who that is and might be in a moment. Guccifer 2.0 started putting out hacks they had done of the DNC emails. Okay? Now, you'll remember, this was a big kerfluffle. It's a fun word to say, by the way. This was a big kerfluffle during the conventions because Bernie Sanders supporters suddenly realized they'd been hosed, or as our president would say, president-elect. I don't think our president would say this, but our president-elect would say they'd been schlonged. And by the way, that is accurate. This is the definition of schlonged. They realized during the DNC hacks that Bernie Sanders had been schlonged the entire time by the Democrats running it. Debbie Wasserman Schultz was quickly forced to resign in disgrace. And she was immediately replaced by the new temporary head of the DNC, Donna Brazil, who we would later find out had actually supplied questions to Hillary Clinton ahead of debates, including debates with Bernie Sanders fans. Now, by the way, Bernie Sanders fans, I'm going to make an argument here. Bernie Sanders fans are the most Christian people in the country. I'm going to say it again. Bernie Sanders fans are the most Christian people in the country. And here's why I say that, because I know it's confounding. Right now you're confounded. I understand. I would be too. But here's why I'm saying that. Because Bernie Sanders fans have proven that they will turn the other cheek. In fact, they'll give you both cheeks and they'll turn around and give you the cheeks from behind. They'll give you every cheek. If you're a Democrat, they will forgive everything. At the convention, Bernie Sanders fans were justifiably angry that they had been schlonged by the Democrats and the Hillary Clinton machine. Then when Hillary Clinton put Donna Brazile in, let's go over what we know now. Okay? Because you didn't know, now you know now. Let me explain. At the time the Democrats were upset before the Democratic National Convention, they did not know that Donna Brazile, who was inserted as the new head of the DNC by Hillary Clinton, was such a Clinton loyalist. She had probably illegally, because these questions are valuable material, she essentially stole valuable material and fenced it to the Clintons. Does that make sense? You with me? Bernie Sanders fans didn't know that when Donna Brazile was in charge, was put in charge of the DNC, but that frankly is worse than putting Debbie Wasserman Schultz in. 
But do you know who did know? I know you know, but this is where you ask a rhetorical question. Do you know who did know? Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton knew that she had been illegally given questions by Donna Brazile. And if not illegally, certainly immorally, certainly against the rules of the debate. Hillary Clinton knew that she had gotten questions ahead of time. And her team, including John Podesta, absolutely knew that. And yet that's who they put in, Donna Brazile. Thanks, Donna. That's just their way of saying thank you. Thanks for giving us those questions. By the way, now you're head of the DNC for a few months. That'll look good on your resume. So think about that. I want you to think about that. The schlonging got worse. But here's why I say Bernie Sanders supporters are the most Christian people in the entire country. They forgot all of that. They forgave all of that. Forgiveness is a fundamental Christian virtue, right? They sure did that. They sure proved that. Now, one could argue, I don't want to get into a big theology thing, that perhaps they would have sh- should have waited for some recognition of wrongdoing before the forgiveness. Perhaps they should have let the Democrats say, oh, my gosh, sorry, we schlonged you. In fact, I would have accepted that. If Hillary Clinton had come out on national television and said to Bernie Sanders, and said to Bernie Sanders, if she'd come out and said on national television, Bernie, I'm sorry I schlonged you, I would urge forgiveness just because that would be the best moment in campaign history. But she didn't. She didn't apologize in any way. In fact, she put her girl, Donna, as opposed to her actual girl, Huma, but that's another story. It's a little less Christian. So let's just skip over that. She put her girl, Donna, her fence. Can I call her a fence? I think I can. She deals in stolen questions, which really philosophically is pretty fascinating if you think about it. She put her girl, Donna, in charge of the DNC. She should have apologized for that. That was wrongdoing on Hillary Clinton's part. Yet here are the Bernie Sanders supporters not just turning the other cheek, that's very Christian, but also bending over. And I, that is less Christian. I will say the Christian metaphor starts to fail at that point. Once you've bent over, you, you've left the realm of traditional Christianity. Could be Unitarian. I'm not judging. I've been a Unitarian. So you can do, hey, by the way, uh, did you hear the KKK attacked a Unitarian church and they burned a question mark on the lawn? It's a great joke. That's a Mort Saul joke, by the way. I can't take credit for it, but that's a great joke. So once you bend over for Hillary Clinton, which creates all sorts of imagery that I'm sorry I put into your head, particularly if it's lunchtime for you. But once you've bent over for Hillary Clinton, I could get another humor reference in here, but I'm going to skip it because I'm an adult. But once you've bent over for Hillary Clinton that far, touching your toes, that far. Again, images of Bernie Sanders touching his toes. Again, I know it's lunch, and I'm sorry. But once you've gone that far, forget about it. You've lost any self-respect your once proud campaign may have once had. And once your supporters go along with it, you're just a bunch of shills as well, right? 
So Guccifer II, back in June, openly took credit for the DNC hacks. Now, because I am America's finest reporter, I know this to be true. Because I saw material from Guccifer II two weeks before it came out, and then it came out. So I know that Guccifer II, who, by the way, you can still just look up Guccifer II. I know you're not used to spelling Guccifer. It's, let me spell it for you. I can't leave you hanging like that. I can't say, look, look up Guccifer II, and then I can't tell you how not to spell it. That would be wrong. But if you, if you just use the Google, you'll be able to find it. Guccifer is spelled G-U-C-C-I-F-E-R. That's spelling again. G-U-C-C-I-F-E-R. Look up Guccifer 2.0. You'll find their WordPress site. Now, Guccifer 2.0 is known to be the hacker. They're the one who did it. Even the reports that have come out subsequently admit that Guccifer 2 is the hacker. And yet, contradictor, contradictor, contradict, contra, and, and, and yet contradicting, let me try it that way, yet contradicting what the CIA has now come out and said, we know who that was. We know who it was. And I want to talk a little bit more about this right after this short break. Hang on. Let me find the short break. Let's try. I get to pick my short break. So let's try this one, shall we? Here we go. Shining the light of truth on liberal America. Hey, that's a bright light. Radio Stranahan. Lee Stranahan, you're listening to Radio Stranahan. Hey, let me just talk before I get back into the discussion about the allegations of Russian hacking. Let me just talk about sponsorships. We're looking for sponsors for the show. If you're interested in being an advertiser, if you're interested in hearing your message once an hour for the next few weeks while I'm doing this show, you can just contact me, Stranahan at Twitter, send me a direct message, or email me, Stranahan at gmail.com. I'm easy to get in touch with. And we'll send you out a package right away and let you know how your message I could be talking about you right now instead of me, and I'd rather be talking about you instead of me because this is slightly creepy. But the point is, I'd rather be talking about your message. So if you want me to be talking about your message, just contact me, stranahan at gmail.com or stranahan on Twitter. Now back to the making you smarter part. By the way, a little inside info here. I'm trying to get my – I'm working on my radio thing. So I'm going to be doing little breaks at like quarter past the hour, half past the hour, quarter of the hour. Well, I, I don't have to. I could just talk all, all hour. But again, I'm working on my radio thing, my radio situation. So that's the goal. You're listening to Radio Stranding. We're talking about the allegations of Russian hacking and how they relate to John McCain, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, but especially McCain and Graham. So these allegations have been out for a while. You remember Hillary Clinton brought them up. Remember Hillary Clinton's big thing in the debates where she said 94 different intelligence agencies. I could be off on the number. It might not be 94. It could be slightly lower. I I forget the number exactly. I think it was actually like 26. If someone wants to correct me, that's fine. 
but I think it was actually 26. And that was shown to be a complete lie. So let's go over this. Hillary Clinton already made these allegations. And in fact, there's a really good article up right now. I'm biased because I'm the lead investigative reporter for Breitbart News, but it's not my article. There's a good article. It's the lead on Breitbart News as I'm talking uh, by my friend Joel Pollack. The article is entitled 10 Ways the CIA's Russian Hacking Story is Left-Wing Fake News. And Joel's got a list here of stuff. It's pretty methodical. Joel's a smart dude. Joel went to Harvard Law. They don't typically let you into Harvard Law unless you're very smart. They can let you out of it if you're dumb. You can graduate stupider. That's possible. But they don't let you in unless you're smart. He points up, and I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the first three things that Joel says in this article. The whole article's worth reading. But let's just focus on the first three things that Joel says. His point one, he calls it a sham. But point one, he says, there's actually no new information leading the CIA to its conclusion. This is a huge point, which is probably why he put it as number one. That's probably my guess there. I don't know much about the way Joel's mind works, but he probably put the most important point first because, you know, that's a good idea. But he points out there's no actually new information. I'm quoting the article here. Joel says, the New York Times reports the CIA's conclusion does not appear to be the product of specific new intelligence obtained since the election. Several American officials, including some who had read the agency's briefing, said on Sunday. Rather, it's an analysis of what many believe is overwhelming circumstantial evidence Okay, so let's point that out. These are exactly the same allegations that Hillary Clinton was making during the election, during the debates, that I debunked, that my friend Roger Stone debunked in a piece that I helped him with that was up on Breitbart months ago, talking about Guccifer too. In other words, they got nothing. I don't want to get technical on you there. But they got nothing. They got no new information here. And yet this BS story is being repeated on every media outlet with no new information. It's exactly the same crap that helped Hillary not get elected months ago. By the way, if you want to join us as a caller, number 619-924-0786. Feel free to call in. It's going to be a little packed next hour. So it's, if you want to talk, it's a good, probably a good time now to get in. Here's point two in Joel's article. The article is titled 10 Ways the CIA's Russian Hacking Story is Left-Wing Fake News. It's the lead story up on Breitbart right now. Point number two, the, quote, evidence, close quote, that the CIA has gathered is inconclusive. And Joel points out a very big point here, and you don't hear this. The, our media sucks so bad. Again, I hate to get technical on you, but seriously, our media is so horrible. They just repeat crap. Joel points out that the FBI disagrees with some of the CIA's conclusion. But you haven't heard that blared everywhere, have you? You would think, if you were listening to the news, that the CIA had something new and that this was a new news story. But as Joel points out, they have nothing new. 
What they do have is disagreed with by the FBI. And I'll talk about in a second why the FBI probably disagrees with it. And this will take us back full circle to Guccifer II, who I mentioned before. Because when you hear, this is a teaser, but when you hear the way Guccifer II operated, which is provable, you can, again, this is why I'm America's finest reporter, because I'm just trying to make you smarter. I'm going to show you the reason I spelled Guccifer's name, two C's, one F. The reason I spelled his name previously is I don't want you to take my word. The reason I'm America's finest reporter, which, you know, I am, the reason I am is because I don't just dictate to you what you should think. I try to help you at every point. I try to help you figure out this stuff for yourself. I don't want you to trust anybody, including me, America's finest reporter. I don't want you to trust anybody. Just swallow what they have to say wholesale. Point three, and this is a significant one. The CIA is not making public, and here, Joel, italicized the word public, so I'll try to say that with italics. I'm going to italicize it myself verbally. Here we go. The CIA is not making public. There we go. Sound a little like Bob Dylan. That's the way italics sound, by the way. Italics technically sound like Bob Dylan. The CIA is not making public claims that Russia hacked the election. In other words, this is not an actual report that people have seen. It was a secret report, a double secret report. The Russians are now on double secret probation. The CIA is, is, did not make a public claim. They made a secret report. And here's what Joel Pollack has to say in this Breitbart News article. Several CIA veterans, in fact, have urged caution about the leak report. As Newsweek reports, I'm not saying I don't think the Russians did this, says Nadabakos. By the way, Nadabakos is not a new Sasha Baron Cohen character. Nadabakos is a former top CIA counterterrorism offer. My main concern is that we don't rush to judgment. And by the way, no one seems to want to say that the Russians didn't do this, but I'm going to let you come to your own conclusion momentarily. As I go through what happened with Guccifer II, something you can see for yourself. Okay? But they're saying, I, I don't, I'm not saying the Russians didn't do this, because nobody wants to be wrong. Because nobody knows the true identity of Guccifer II. Because Guccifer II is hiding his identity. Because, as you can well imagine, well, here's, a, let, let's see why. How well has not hiding your identity worked out for, let's say, I don't know, Julian Assange. We all know Julian Assange's name. And he's been holed up in a back room of the Ecuadorian embassy for a couple of years now. So perhaps hiding your name when you're going up against the Clinton machine and the Obama machine, who's prepared to use intelligence agencies to publicly do their dirty work, when that's who you're going up against, Perhaps hiding your name is a good idea. Guccifer 2 may be on to something. I'm just going to go with that. Guccifer 2, you're on to something. You're smart. So there's no new information. The information that is out there is contradicted by the FBI, 
who did not reach the same conclusion the CIA did. Now, how can you prove this? So if you Google Guccifer 2, you'll find his WordPress website. And he actually addresses some of these allegations in a post from back in June, an FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. He talks about himself, and he talks about how these critics have called him Russian. So he says, this is, I'm quoting Guccifer too, I'm quoting the hacker. Now, if I were cool, I'd use some neat sort of robot voice. Technically, it's a vocorder. If you want to get nerdy about it, which I usually do. If you want to get nerdy about it, it's called a vocorder. I would do this in a robot voice, which would make me sound very, it's the same thing. You hear anonymous do it all the time. I could just do this thing with my throat like this. It's not quite the same. Instead, I'll just read it. This is Guccifer 2 talking back in June. You can find it yourself. Google Guccifer 2. Go to his WordPress page and you can find it. How do I prove this is true? He's saying he's not Russian. He's saying that. He said, how do I prove it's not true? He says, I don't, I really don't know. It seems like the guys from CrowdStrike, and this is a group of security experts and the DNC, would say, I'm a Russia bear, even if I were a Catholic nun. At first, Gusper II says, I was annoyed and disappointed. But now I realize they have nothing else to say. And let me, let me put a little exclamation point. If I had an emoji, it would be an atom bomb. Boom. They have nothing else to say. That's what's going on here. Guccifer II nailed this back in June. They have nothing else to say. They tried to, and there was a great article, Glenn Greenwald, a guy who I am not always a fan of, over at The Intercept. I retweeted this the other day. Had a phenomenal article on how the Democrats and the liberal media, especially MSNBC, lied over and over and said a few months ago that the WikiLeaks documents were doctored. They were being faked. And Greenwald goes into great detail about how that's not only not true, but he traces back where that original information came from. And it's a guy who purposely puts out fake stories. He's a liberal who purposely fakes out, who purposely puts out fake stories in order to make people on the right look stupid. That's his goal. That's his admitted goal. And in this case, it backfired because it made progressives look stupid. To which he said, oops, but that's what he did. So Guccifer too nails it here. I realize they have nothing else to say. He continues. There's no other way to justify their incompetence and failure. It's much easier for them to accuse powerful foreign special services. Now, I don't believe that Guccifer I'm going to come out and say what few people will say. I don't see any evidence that Guccifer is a Russian government agent. Furthermore, I see evidence to the contrary that he is not a Russian government agent. And here's why. As I've mentioned a few times, you can read what I just told you on his WordPress blog. Let me ask you this. How many foreign countries set up a WordPress blog? 
And let me t- let me uh, the answer is like none. And here's why: I've never heard of it. Maybe I'm missing something. And the reason I've never heard of it is WordPress blogs are notoriously easy to hack, which means you have a, would have a way to figure out who he is. So this isn't on some. And by the way, this is a WordPress blog that's actually on the WordPress.com site. I should get a, uh, a cybersecurity person on to explain some of this and use nerdy terms. Uh, and maybe I will. But the idea that the Russian government would set up a WordPress site, and then if you look at what Guccifer 2 was doing for a couple of months, and you can also do this by checking out their Twitter account. Just check out the Guccifer Twitter account sometime. If you check out the Guccifer Twitter account, you can go back and you'll see that Guccifer, I'm actually going back to see, you'll see that Guccifer was trying to get this information out to people. And after a month of trying to get the information out to people, they just sort of gave up and then decided, I'm going to give the information to WikiLeaks. You can see this. This unfolded publicly. And then he's very proud that it's going to come out on WikiLeaks. Let me ask you a question. If you're the Russian government, why not just give the information to WikiLeaks? Why not do that? doesn't make any sense. I'll talk more about this after this short break. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. Want to be part of the show? 619-924-0786. That number again, 619-924-0786. So why would the Russian government, we're talking about Guccifer, we're talking about these hacks, we're talking about stuff that apparently the CIA is either too stupid or too dishonest to figure out. Because here's the thing. Nobody denies that Guccifer 2 is the person behind the hacking. If you look at the initial intelligence report that came out before the election, remember, as Joel Pollack points out, in the current lead story on Breitbart, there's no new information here. So as Joel Pollack points out, there's no new information. Their intelligence briefing that Hillary Clinton used in the debates before she lost that intelligence briefing says Guccifer 2 is the one behind the attacks. Now, what they say is, well, we don't know who Guccifer 2 is. Right. I know. I would call that a failure of intelligence. I would say before you come out and do your little report, maybe you should figure out who he is. I don't know. That's just me. But what I'm saying is, I don't know who Guccifer 2 is, but I know what his behavior was. You with me? You dig? I don't know who Guccifer 2 is, but I know what his behavior was. And it doesn't seem to me that the Russian government would create a WordPress blog. And it doesn't seem to me that the Russian government would try to peddle the information, would spend a month on Twitter. Please, hey, somebody look at the information. And then in desperation, give it to WikiLeaks. And by the way, Joel points this out in his article, WikiLeaks has denied it's the Russians. 
Now, again, I don't know who Christopher Tu is. Don't know. But I know what they say. What they say is that they're Eastern European. Is it possible Christopher Tu is Russian, but not working for the Russian government? Of course it is. Is it possible he's not Russian? I think it's likely he's not Russian. And there's also an interview with him up there. Now, this could all be cover. But the point is, I'd like someone out to come out and say that. What we have so far is the stenographer mainstream media just repeating allegations that are not even circumstantial, that contradict available evidence. Somewhat, no one's tried to explain why Guccifer too. They haven't even tried. No one's tried to explain why Guccifer too would be peddling the information unsuccessfully and then make a decision that they were all of a sudden going to then give it to WikiLeaks and do that all publicly. No one's done that. In fact, no one even talks about that. All they do, this is why the media sucks so bad. All they can do is repeat the same vague allegation that there's a secret CIA report and then hope that you, the listening public, who's been dumbed down by their bad reporting for years now, all they can do is they can hope that your brain has atrophied to the point that you don't ask any questions. Forgive me, I have to take a drink of my beverage of choice, which is now water. I mentioned this on a personal note. I mentioned this. It's now two weeks that I've cut all coffee, tea, soda. I didn't drink that much soda anyway. Uh, liquor, everything. The only thing I'm drinking now is water, juice. I'm diabetic. And I'm trying not to be diabetic. My method for a while was mainly wishing. And I found that was medically ineffective. So now I'm trying to actually radically change my diet. But that's a topic for another day. I've said it before. I should get my doctor on to talk about it. But hang on. I need to take another sip of water so I don't fall over. That's also another part of my medical plan is to not fall over. Hang on. Uh, Today's episode is brought to you by water, by the way. Water, they pay as well as they taste. I don't know. That's a slogan I just made up. It's not any specific water company. If I could get Evian on, there'd be some real bucks in that, but I digress. So the media is hoping that your brain has atrophied to the point. They hope that your critical thinking faculties have denigrated so far that when they say it's Russian hacking, you will repeat it. By the way, if anyone is to blame I've, I've ranted about this fake Pizzagate story for a while, but you know what? The Pizzagate people, frankly, all they're doing is they're taking advantage of the brain degeneration caused by decades of the mainstream media hypnotizing and brainwashing you. They don't want you to think for yourself. There's a reason I always send you to my sources. There's a reason 
I tell you how to look this stuff up for yourself. Because when I say I'm trying to make you smarter, literally what I'm trying to do. Literally, I'm trying to make you a more critical thinker. That's what I want. I don't want an audience full of dummies. For one thing, I keep asking you to call in. And imagine my plight if I get a bunch of dummies calling in. That sound, does that sound fun? doesn't sound fun at all. So really, I have a selfish motive here, which is it's to my advantage to have a smarter audience. Also, if you're trying to reach advertisers, I, I, maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe, maybe advertisers want dumb people. I don't know. It depends on the product, I guess. I was going to say that advertisers want a smarter audience, eh, but I'm not so sure. So if you're a potential advertiser, I'll just tell you, we have a mixture of smart and dumb people. Don't you worry. Your, your advertising dollar is still safe with me. We'll get enough dumb people flowing through the doors where if that's your main demographic is the dumb, don't worry, we'll cover you there as well. Here's a suggestion. Don't start your ad with, hey, dummies. Just a suggestion. You can, I'm not telling you your business. And, hey, your money's still good. But the mainstream media is really responsible for this fake news phenomenon because they have been force-feeding people for years. And, in fact, the mainstream media also doesn't even want to hear from you. Have you ever tried to talk to a mainstream media personality on Twitter? See how well that goes. This is one reason I'm on Twitter, by the way, is, yes, sure, I'm America's finest reporter, but I like to have contact with people, and if they have questions, actual questions, things that they need clarification on, I answer people. I talk to them. So what they've done in this story is they just keep repeating the same BS. Now, what aren't they telling you? Here's what they're not telling you. While we're busy talking about the Russians, and while we were busy in the election talking about the Russians, who we weren't talking about was Saudi Arabia. In my opinion, the biggest unreported story in the entire election cycle was the influence of Saudi Arabia on this election and the influence of Saudi Arabia on American foreign policy. And a lot of this has to do with an ideological bias that the Democrats have. This is why they whitewash the dangers of radical Islam. There's an ideological bias that people like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, whose top assistant, Huma Abedin, was raised in, the Saudi, in Saudi Arabia, was brought to Saudi Arabia. Her whole family was brought over to Saudi Arabia from America. Her mother works for the government of Saudi Arabia, her brother and sister, and whom Abedin used to as well. They work for a group called the Muslim World League that publishes their publication. The Muslim World League's job is to spread Islam, specifically the fundamentalist Wahhabist Islam that's the state religion of Saudi Arabia. The Muslim World League's job is to spread that around the world. I've written about this extensively, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on it, but the Muslim World League, look it up yourself, spelled like it sounds, Muslim World League. And if you, if you use the Google to look up Muslim World League Huma, H-U-M-A, I'm sure you'll find my articles where I document this extensively. 
But Saudi Arabia has had an outsized influence. Now, let's talk about Syria. Why are these allegations coming up now about the Russians? Why now? Because there's not new information. It's old information. So why now? Why now? Just to discredit Donald Trump? Just because the recount effort didn't fail? Sure, those seem likely. That's what everybody is focusing on. But I have a different view. And I have a different view because I am America's finest reporter and because I know a bit about the Syrian conflict. Right now, today, as we speak, Monday, December 12th, is it the 12th, Shane? Yes. It's the 12th. I didn't want to say that because I'm in such a – I sound so forceful there. I don't want to screw it up by saying on this date, right as we speak, Monday, December 3rd, and then I'm completely off, right? So on Monday, December 12th, I'll continue with my forcefulness. A little more beverage. Hang on. Ah, Now I'm ready to be forceful again. Okay. As we speak right now, Monday, December 12th, in the northern Syria town of Aleppo, Syrian forces, in conjunction with Russia, are pushing the quote-unquote rebels out of eastern Aleppo. Now, Let's unpack a couple of things there. First off, who are the rebels? This goes back to what I was ranting about earlier. They want to atrophy your brains. So when the news media says over and over, the United States is backing the rebels. Who are the rebels? They never talk about that. The rebels are jihadists, backed by, you guessed it, Saudi Arabia. The rebels that we are supporting in Syria are radical Islamists, the same radical Islamists who are blowing up things and killing people, the same Wahhabist ideology spread by groups like Saudi Arabia's Muslim World League. I'm going to say it again because it should flip your world upside down. The United States is helping radical Islamists. They go by different names. The Free Syria Army is one of them. Another one is the Army of Conquest. But make no mistakes, these are radical jihadists, including groups like al-Nusra, who's part of the Army of Conquest. That's who's getting their butt kicked right now in Aleppo, is the Army of Conquest. And they're getting their butt kicked not by us, who should be kicking their butt, but by Russia. And by the way, who trained those Syrians who trained the, the for, forget they're not even Syrians forgive me I misspoke because these are foreign fighters who've come from around the world to go into Syria to fight they're not even Syrian they're jihadists who've come from around the world fight to fight who backed them as I said before Saudi Arabia who supported them John McCain and Lindsey Graham Who trained them, according to John McCain? The CIA. John McCain has said that openly on CNN. He said that openly in the media. These are people who were trained by the CIA. So now, right now, while in Aleppo, Russian forces 
are defeating the Saudi Arabian-backed, John McCain-backed, CIA-backed, quote-unquote, rebels who are really radical jihadists, Al-Qaeda-connected radical jihadists. Who comes out and is attacking Russia in our media? Gee, the CIA. Gee, John McCain. Gosh, oh golly. Hillary Clinton, who's the Secretary of State? When we started this whole mess, which we did start, by the way, our country, your tax dollars are funding radical jihadists in Syria. And I saw this for myself when I went to Lebanon. I went over there to see about Christians who were being murdered in a small town called Aleppo. And I interviewed the survivors of those massacres. And your tax dollars funded the massacre of Christians in Syria. Your government, the United States government, this is not conspiracy theory. This is not wild accusation. This is the truth. Your tax dollars and your government funded the slaughter of Christians, funded the Syrian civil war. We're on the wrong side of the Syrian civil war. We should either not be in there at all. Or we should be backing Assad against these terrorists. But we're not. But we're not. And I'll have more on this right after this short break. Bringing the truth to all 50 states. Yeah, even Massachusetts. Radio Stranahan. You are listening to Radio Strand. If you want to be part of the show, 619-924-0786. That number again, 619-924-0786. I was just talking about how your tax dollars have gone to supporting the Islamist, quote-unquote, rebels in Syria. American policy has been to support those rebels. And I interviewed an archbishop over there who said, why is Obama doing this to us? And you got to remember, to the rest of the world, if Obama's our president, you and me are Obama. But that's what's been happening. So at the same time, the Russian and Syrian forces are kicking the Islamists. And by the way, what's going on in these areas like eastern Aleppo? Because I interviewed people from Aleppo. Aleppo used to be a beautiful city. And by the way, one of the other allies that we have on our side, it's us, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey. And Turkey is of vested interest, particularly in Aleppo. Someone told me when I was over in Lebanon that there was a a medicine factory that was in Aleppo that was doing well. And almost as soon as the civil war, quote-unquote civil war, started, really it was an Islamist uprising. That's what started it. forces came in to destroy that medical factory, that medicine factory, competed with the medicine factory in Turkey. But what we know for sure is that Saudi Arabia and Turkey and the U.S. are behind the Islamist extremists. And if your media was doing anything, and even if the right-wing media was doing anything, 
You're not even seeing this in the right-wing media. They fall into the leftist narrative. But the truth is, the truth is, we're on the wrong side in Syria. We should be fine with that. Bashar al-Assad is not a good guy. He's a bad guy. But he's better than the radical Islamists. And Christians and other people are, are better off under Assad than they would be under ISIS or al-Nusra, than they would be under Sharia law, which is exactly what they want to impose there, by the way. That's why they're Islamists. Let me explain that. That term Islamist gets thrown around, and some people don't even know what it means. I'm not saying they're Islamic. Assad is Islamic. An Islamist is a person who's not just a Muslim, but they want to impose Muslim Sharia law. That's what an Islamist, I-S-T, is. See how I make you smarter? That's an Islamist. I've had people actually argue with me about the definition of a word. But that's what Islamist is. That's what the Islamists do. Okay? They want to impose Sharia law. By the way, do you know who has Sharia law? Hmm, let me, oh, yes, Saudi Arabia. Now, what you're going to see coming up here with our guest, who we have next hour, and a little this hour, national security expert David Raboy, coming up this hour. Next hour, one of the families of the 9-11 victims. What you're going to see over and over again is the people who've been supporting this policy are John McCain and Lindsey Graham. Now, by the way, John McCain has taken major donations to his foundation from Saudi Arabia. And when a local TV station tried to ask him about it last year, he ducked the question. He didn't want to answer it. John McCain has gotten off far too light for far too long. And I appreciate John McCain. I appreciate Donald Trump for supporting John McCain and being a loyal Republican. But John McCain is a snake in the grass. He's a snake in the grass. And the grass that he's in is, it's sand, really. It's Saudi Arabia. I was going to say Saudi Arabian grass, but I don't think there is such a thing. And you can see this over and over again. When Michelle Bachman and Louis Gohmert and other congressional Republicans were asking questions about Huma Abedin a few years ago, who came to Huma Abedin's defense? John McCain. And as you're going to hear when we talk to Terry from the 9-11 victims' families, who's trying to make sure Saudi Arabia can't be sued? John McCain. Arizona, shame on you. I do not understand why a state that I've been to Arizona fundamentally conservative state in a lot of ways. How do you keep electing John McCain? I know how you keep electing him because there's big money involved. Where does that big money come from? Well, some of it, I think, comes from Saudi Arabia. They've helped back McCain. So is it any wonder that this morning, the Republicans that all the media are touting, oh, look, even Republicans 
want an investigation into Russia. They're trying to discredit Russia. Who's behind that? John McCain and Lindsey Graham. Where did the report come from? The CIA. Who is getting their butt kicked by Russia right now? Islamist terrorists trained by the CIA and supported by John McCain. That's who. That's who. These are not moderate rebels. There's never been any sort of effective, efficient, moderate rebel force. Al-Nusra has been the force there since it started. By the way, Al-Nusra is just the sort of Al-Qaeda version of ISIS. And there's, again, supported by Saudi Arabia. Now, no one's talking about Saudi Arabia. I am, because I'm making you smarter. But no one else is talking about Saudi Arabia. Everyone else is talking about who? Russia. And that's exactly what McCain and Graham and Hillary Clinton and the CIA, all the people behind this complete moral inversion for what's going on in Syria. We say we're fighting terrorism, but we're not. We say we're fighting terrorism, but we're helping the terrorists in Syria. This complete moral aversion, the people behind it are McCain, Clinton, and the CIA. And gee, that's who's behind this push, which seems to be a push against Trump, but really it's a push against Russia. That's my argument here. If they take Trump down, that's great. If you want to be part of the conversation, 619-924-0786. That number again, 619-924-0786. Really disturbing. But that's what's happening. That's what's happening right now. And what we're going to do for the next hour is we're going to start to fill in some of the details on John McCain. If you're still thinking you're a John McCain fan right now, which, by the way, I've never met a John McCain fan. I'm sure they must exist since he keeps getting elected. But I don't see how. And I've never met one. I can tell you Megan McCain blocked me on Twitter a couple of years ago. But I started, started asking difficult questions. That's what happened a couple of years ago. Megan McCain, a little thin-skinned. That's what I'll say. But I've never met an actual John McCain fan. Do you exist? If you're out there, give a call. 619-924-0786. Now, joining us on the line, great guest, David Raboy, national security expert. Hang on, let me figure out how I can do this. One second. I'm my own board off. Hey, David, how you doing? Good. How are you, Lee? Can you hear me? What? Can you hear me? Sorry about that, David. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Sorry, sorry about that. There's a whole complex operation I have to do with my phone, and I did it wrong. Anyway, thanks for joining us today. David, David Raboy is a national security expert. He's been writing about things uh, and, uh, and, and talking about 
national security in particular in regard to the Middle East for years. And he's got a great new piece out that we'll also be talking about. Um, but David, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that I know you know quite a bit about John McCain's history and as it relates to Syria, and in particular, Elizabeth Obagi. And I think a lot of this stuff has been memory old. Um, I think people forget this stuff. Can you can you explain that background to us? Um, sure. I'm unsure of where, where to start. But, um, but I guess let me preface this by saying that for a lot of people in this debate, and I think, um, I think it very much includes John McCain, there is a desperate need to find um, there's a, there's a desperate need to find white hats, um, you know, as opposed to black hats in, in the old in the old Western parlance. So, um, you know, so so if uh, it, it it almost can't be that um, we have several bad Islamist actors, for example. Um, the the least bad of these, or at least the um, the uh, the 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 actor that um, you know the the actor that uh, that most corresponds with uh, their particular strategic aims have to become uh, you know have to become freedom fighters and with McCain we've seen this in in different places we saw it in in uh, in Libya we saw it in Egypt and, and and now we're about to talk about Syria where we saw this and that and that brings us into um, that brings us into uh, Elizabeth Obagi. So uh, Obagi at the time, I guess, what it was this 2012? Um, I think it was. I think it was. Uh, 20, it was 20, 20, it was 2013. 2013. 2013. Okay. Okay. So it was early earlier in uh, in 2013 that um, Elizabeth Obagi, who was then about a, you know a 26 year old researcher at the Institute for the Study of War, which is the, the uh, which is the the, the Kagan's uh, uh, think tank? Um, she started. Um, she you know she hit the circuit and she hit the circuit uh, the media circuit with a um, a Wall Street Journal piece and um, several appearances on Fox News and she was on MSNBC and and her basic argument was that um, was that the Free Syrian Army um, is wonderful and that. Um, you know, we better we better um, aid it with uh, with with money and weapons, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it uh, it didn't take long for some people to notice that uh, Obegi herself was moonlighting as the political director for um, for the uh, the rebels' lobby in Washington D.C. Um, so this was this was not exactly a um, you know it was not exactly she wasn't exactly a, a disinterested party in this. Um, she was very much advocating um, this particular position, and you know. And then when the heat uh, 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 turned on her, because this was at a uh, this was at a at a time when Obama was deciding um, whether or not to uh, to intervene, and and uh, and frankly, the Republican Congress was um, was all set to uh, was all set to sort of ratify Obama's. Uh, intervention into Syria on behalf of the rebels, um, the Obegi thing started to unravel. You know, and first it unraveled with her, um, with her conflict of interest, um, and and the second thing that really unraveled her was the fact that she um, she lied about her PhD. 
And um, it wasn't even a question of, you know, anything but dissertation. It was a question of, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the advisor that she claimed in interviews uh, who was guiding her through the, uh, the, the you know, her, her doctorate had actually never met her. So it was, it was the case of, um, it was the case of a, uh, of a, of a fabulous um, anyway, so the next that's, part of the story that, is she, that, that's, she, that's a pretty big. I was going to say that's a pretty big lie too, David. If you if you've never actually met the person you say was your advisor, I would say that's probably more than stretching the truth. I mean, that's 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 a, that's a whopper. Yeah, and I I really I I can't be, I can't believe that that she thought she would get away with it. But you know, I mean, it, and so if you if you sort of look at her. Uh, her, her career since then, um, it, it makes sense that she would think that because as soon as she was uh, let go or resigned um, in disgrace for, uh, from the Institute for the Study of War, she landed a job as uh, John McCain's foreign policy aide. And, uh, and you know, I mean, on, on one hand, you've, you've kind of no, really got to admire. I'm, so, I'm sorry. No, I heard that. I just want you to re- – I, I would just like you – could you just repeat that? For people whose jaws may be dropped on the floor, sure. so she she sure. turns out to be a complete fraud. So she and turns she's out hired to be by complete, who? And she's hired by John McCain. Um, and and if you go online, you will see uh, she's hired by John McCain for um, uh, for his Senate staff and uh, and for you know doing the doing the, the foreign relations portfolio, and um, you know and where she. You know, continues to advocate for um, you know for for arming the for arming the rebels, and now this this would be a um, I mean I, I look I think it's a, I think it's a debatable proposition at this point about Syria. You know there there are there are decent uh, I think there are decent points that can be made on both sides, but um, but I really take exception to when people are. Uh, you know, when people are interested parties and they're pushing, a, you know, a line that, uh, you know, that they kind of know is not true uh, in order to advance their, their particular um, agenda. And, you know, and, and I believe and I, that that's, that's what, what she was doing. Well, and I also think that I, I think that in Syria, and what I said before you came on was, I'm fine if we, if we don't get involved in that. Um, but don't lie about – we don't want to get involved in Syria either way. That's fine. But it's so clear to me that groups like al-Nusra over there, these are Saudi Arabian, Turkey-backed jihadists. That's who they are. And you've got a great piece right. up in, in, on a Claire, the Claremont Review right now uh, where you talk about the, pri- the proper way to defeat political Islam. And you make a great point there, which is people, if you just listen to the media, the enemy would appear to be ISIS. That's who they all they talk about now. ISIS, 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 right? And ISIS is clearly an enemy. But you make the point that the real enemy is Islamism in general, correct? Uh, right. Um, that's, uh, that's, the, you know, that's, the, that's the point I make. And, and the, the, the bigger point is that and, and I know that there are there are people immediately that will will sort of rush to to argue and say well um, 
you know, well, are you going to go and are you going to fight with every Islamist group? Are you going to declare war on every Islamist uh, that exists? And, and I think, I mean, the answer is no. Um, but understanding that, understanding that their interests or the interests of political Islam are, um, uh, are detrimental to ours is a kind of first step in reassessing this relationship. And, um, and you know, so it, it doesn't mean that everywhere we need to, uh, you know, we need to physically fight them, but it does mean that, um, that everywhere from the point of view of the U.S. government, we, ha- we have to be aware that, um, that they are our enemy. They're not our friends. You know, so, so, uh, so dealing with it um, in Syria may be different from dealing with it in Egypt, may be different from dealing with it, um, you know, in, uh, in Iraq or in Saudi Arabia or, you know, what, what have you, or here in the United States, for, uh, for that matter. But, uh, but, you know, but it all starts from the, uh, from the acknowledgement that, um, that their interests, uh, you know, their interests and our interests are incompatible. Well, yeah, it's a great point because I'm, for instance, I'm very critical of Saudi Arabia, very, very, very critical of Saudi Arabia. And, but that doesn't mean I think we need to go to war with Saudi Arabia. We're not even to the point where, as you say, we can just tell the truth about Saudi Arabia. Right. We're, we're, we're not at the point where our administration or our politicians can say even like, look, there are some real problems with the kingdom and with their policies and with what they're doing in terms of spreading Wahhabist Islam around the world, which they do in places like Syria. That's why Saudi Arabia is one of the backers, along with McCain, of these groups, uh, because they want to, they're all Salafi, fundamentalist Islam, Wahhabist groups. Al-Nusra, the, one of the biggest ones in Syria, clearly is. So again, I'm not saying we should go to war with uh, with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but at least be realistic about it and don't whitewash things, don't hide things, or in the case of McCain, I would argue, uh, cover up for them and literally try to trick the American people about the real nature of the problem. So why do you think that is? Why do you think they can't just be straight with people? I really think that there is that there is a uh, there there's a compulsion that and I, I kind of open with this but there really is a compulsion to find the white hats and if they can't find the white hats they need to make them and uh, and you can tell I mean John McCain is a really good example of this because uh, he he overdoes it all the time like he'll make it explicit he'll go and he'll say remember when he said um, in I think he was maybe even in Benghazi. Uh, prior to, uh, you know, of course, prior to uh, to uh, the the attacks on September 11th, there, uh, where he said these are these people are my heroes of of the Libyan rebels. Um, so and and he, he did the he did the same in Syria in meeting with uh, with with some of these guys. So he goes above and beyond, and for him, I think it's really a uh, I think it's really an, an ideological issue. Uh, that I mean, you can say that it kind of brings people back to, um, you know, I mean, everybody wants to be in a morality play, right? Everybody wants to believe that their freedom fighters, quote unquote, are heroic 
everybody wants to live the, the, the Victor uh, Laszlo fantasy from Casablanca, right? Yeah, if you get that reference. Like, everybody, everybody wants to, you know, there's, there's nothing more heroic than, you know, a, a, um, you know, a freedom fighter dissident. And, you know, unfortunately, that's, that's really not the case uh, with, with, uh, with Islamist movements uh, around the world. I mean, we do, uh, we do obviously have, have some, uh, some fantastic, authentic freedom fighters, but, uh, you know, when your strategy is based on, on them, you know, of, when your strategy is based on using them as a platform, then you must find them, regardless of whether or not they exist. So, so I think it's an ideological delusion, and and uh, and McCain is a really um, is a really good example of that, you know. And 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 I think it's I think it's remarkably dangerous to the extent that, you know, any time you have people who are involved in in foreign policy or national security who are not reality based, you know, who are ideology based as opposed to reality based, then you've got a problem. And and it's and it's you know it's a recipe for 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 lots of trouble because the world is not ideological. The world is, is, is in fact, real. Now, in, in regards to these new allegations of Russian hacking and what John McCain and Lindsey Graham have done, leaving aside the allegations, because I talked about earlier, there's no new allegations here. These are the same allegations. The CIA has no new information. So it's literally just a rehash of what was talked about. But what do you think of the politics of what McCain and Graham have done uh, in the past couple of days talking about this issue? Well, the politics are really, um, they're really sketchy. And I think we're in a, we're in a really dangerous, um, we're in a really dangerous uh, area here. Um, I think the people who are talking most loudly about this from a political standpoint are doing it to cover up the fact that, um, that their agenda, frankly, was, um, was uh, rejected. You know, it's a lot easier to talk about, um, you know, to talk about Russia hacking the election than it is to talk about the fact that a lot of people, I don't know, agree with Donald Trump on immigration um, or trade or, um, you know, or, you know, something as simple as, you know, making America great again. Um, I mean, you know, the, the guy, the guy won and his agenda is, you know, as it turns out, is, is quite popular. Um, from the point of view of people like McCain and Graham, um, as well as from the point of view of people, um, you know, people on the, on the Democrat side, I mean, they have every reason to, to talk this up and delegitimize uh, uh, Trump just because what, they, what, they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to find an, an excuse for why his, uh, particular agenda um, uh, shouldn't be shouldn't be discussed. So that's I, I, I think I think that's really what it is. I mean there's a, there's a much bigger issue too about about um, you know about Russia's involvement not just in the U.S. election but in um, but in, uh, in 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 the West more broadly pushing a um, you know pushing a, a more um, sort of aggressively anti-EU, anti-globalist, um, explicitly pro-nationalist uh, point of view in, in, in various countries uh, around the world. And, 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 you know, on one hand, it's troubling that 
it's one hand on one hand it's troubling that they are able to um they're that they're able to to sort of get their fingers into the political process of 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 these open societies but on the other hand everything that you know everything that uh that the russians are pushing are everything is um is something that the you know sort of current political environment doesn't have if if that makes sense so i think what what the, the what the, the the Russians have been doing around the world, and you know, and, and this is France, and this is and this is Brexit, and this is uh, uh, Hungary, and in, and in and many other places, is they're they're offering an alternative product that the people want, and um, you know, and and the people are are, are buying it, and um, and and it's fine, and and I don't see. I mean, there are a lot of people who are running around and, and, and they're saying that, well, if, if, um, if you know, a policy of uh, more explicit nationalism and a distrust for sort of EU, um, uh, you know, international, you know, supranational organizations is beneficial to Russia, then ipso facto, it must be bad. And I think that's, that's a really big mistake and a really, um, a really uh, simplistic reading of things. Um, I think sometimes, um, you know, sometimes nationalism is, um, you know, is in our interest whether or not Russia happens to uh, happens to support it or not. So, so all these things are, are, um, you know, they're they're worth discussing, but they're really not worth politicizing the way they've been politicized. Certainly, in the last, uh, you know, in the last 24, 48 hours. I mean, what we're seeing is. I, I just, you know, I don't know where you, I don't know where you go from, from the Democrat point of view and the McCain-Graham point of view. I don't know where you go from here. Like, is the is the logical next step to, uh, you know, to uh, I don't know, install Evan McMullen? I mean, is is that what they're what they're pushing here? Well, I mean, clearly, I don't, Evan McMullen clearly had he did have a big just for the record that was did. that was that was. Right, right. No, but I mean, just for the record, I was joking about McMullen. I, I mean, that was that was just a joke. But but the the bigger question remains, which is which is what is their end game here? Well, what's you know, I think the I think the end game is to not just weaken. And I talked about this before. I think it's not just to weaken Trump, which is one clear goal, but I think also. I, I don't think the American people have been told look this goes back to the point you're making the 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 people have not been given the straight dope on what's going on with things like the arab spring or in places like syria they've not really been told what's going on now trump was one of the closest candidates to bringing that truth out during the election and so with a trump administration the American people might be in for a shock, right? So people who've been told for eight years now or seven, however long it's been going on, seven, you know, six, six, seven years now, well, look, the Arab Spring's a big deal. This is important. We need to support them. They might suddenly get a taste of reality and be shocked. And I think that's uh, part of what they want to do. They want to negate that shock and make it seem like, Oh, you know, the, you know, I want to poison the well. 
ahead of time. But David, I have to run out. Look, I really appreciate you taking the time. This is fascinating. People can check out David on Twitter. And also go to the Claremont Review right now. Great article uh, that uh, David you. co-wrote there. Yeah, it's called uh, it's it's pinned right to the top. It's called Combating Political Islam. You'll want to check that out. David Boy, thanks very much. Thank you, Lee. Have a good one. You too. Okay, now joining us. We're going guest to guest here. I have to go. I have to work my way through this. Now joining us. We should have Terry Stroud in line. Terry, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I sure can, Terry. Thanks Thanks for joining us. I just have to uh, – I had to switch from one guest to the other, and I'm doing it myself. So I just have to make sure I'm hitting the right buttons. Thanks very much for joining us. Terry, can you tell us a little uh, – uh, I, I, I've set you up uh, a little bit on the show, but tell us who you're with, and then we'll get right into the issue. Okay, so I'm the National Chair for the 9-11 Families um, and Survivors United for Justice Against Terrorism. So I am the liaison between the families and members of Congress on working on the legislation that we got passed, JASTA. And, and this JASTA, so this is something I've been following for a while, and I've talked about it a little bit uh, when we were setting you up on the show here, but this was the legislation that would allow the families of the 9-11 victims to be able to sue people, including and especially Saudi Arabia, for their role in funding terrorism, right? That's it essentially, right? In a nutshell, that's what the law would do. Yes. Yes. And this, this has been a big issue for 15 years now because we have thought that Saudi Arabia was funding terrorism stunningly. In the past few months, the Saudis have them admitted it themselves. There's an article in Politico where they admitted that they were funding terror groups and that they misled the United States on that. I don't know if you saw that article. I assume you did, but it's it's yeah, not even an open article. It was amazing, wasn't it? It's just amazing. Yes, it was. And and you would think, okay, you know, maybe now we're going to see some light at the end of the tunnel, but you know. After that article, they've come out and fought very hard against the law that we now have enacted that would actually hold them accountable. Well, and we know this going back to 9-11, and I've reported on this at Breitbart, that that the month after 9-11, in October, Newsweek reported that a group called the Muslim World League was actually removed from a list of terror funders. The Muslim World League is... A non supposedly a non government organization, but it's backed by the government of Saudi Arabia, and it's a charity that they've used to fund terrorism around the world. This is what they've admitted now. But even back in October 2001, they were pulled off. Newsweek reported that the Muslim World League was pulled off that list because the Saudis didn't want them to do it. So we've been incredibly uh, servile, I guess, and it it took the 60 minutes report earlier this year on the 28 pages. I mean, would you, now you, you'd know better than I do, but that, that seemed to me to be a real turning point for this fight. Is that, is that your experience or? Yeah, I agree. I think when that um, aired, it definitely um, pushed for the 28 pages to get released, even though they still withheld about three pages worth of information from us. 
and pretty much the key stuff that we needed. Um, it pushed for the release of the 28 pages, which I think do one of two things. One, it's um, undeniable that Saudi Arabia, the government of Saudi Arabia, was financing some of the hijackers while they were here prior to the attacks. And two, I think it's undeniable that they've never been fully investigated. No, and, and they haven't been. And again, I think it's because of the, the outsized influence that Saudi Arabia has had on this whole process. Right. It's been, when people look at it, I think, I, think the thing that, I think the thing the 28 Pages report did also was it reminded people that there was this uh, unfinished business. I don't know how else to put it, that there is this not everything was tied up. It's very, very easy for people to think of 9-11 as something, look, it was 15 years ago. You know, it's history at this point. And not to realize that this is still very much a live issue for a lot of members of the family. And then we had both houses of Congress passed this just a law. The president vetoed it. Then historically, because it was the first time they'd overturned a presidential veto, they got the law through. And so finally, point, what was your, what was your, because you, how long have you been involved? I mean, have you been involved in this? Um, I've been involved in this for or? four years now for JASTA and for the 28 pages as well. But I got involved four years ago and have worked very closely with Congress. You know, we got it passed without objection out of the Senate Judiciary Committee twice, and then we got it passed unanimously in the Senate in 2014, but it was very late in the session. So it basically died on the vine, and we um, brought it back in 2015 in the 114th Congress, and it took a little bit of time um, because it was being properly vetted, you know, although so many people say this bill was rushed. It was not rushed. Um, After it came out of the Senate Judiciary Committee again, it was sent over to the House, they had it for four months, and they had held two hearings on the bill, one in the Judiciary Committee um, in their Civil Law and Subcommittee on Civil Law, the Constitution and Civil Law, and then they held another hearing on it in a Subcommittee um, in Foreign Affairs on Terrorism, and both committees were favorable to JASTA, and after that happened, um, the family just started to really engage with Congress on pushing the bill forward and putting it on the calendar for a vote. And once that happened and we had the success that we had there, Jackson's had success every time it's ever been voted on. Um, and then it was finally passed, and, you know, yeah, he vetoed it, but we came back 97 to 1 in the Senate and 844, I think, to 77 in the House. It was it was very, very rewarding for the families. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's those are big margins. Those are you don't see those kind of margins usually on a on a bill like no, that. No, it was overwhelming. And then to come back, yeah, over, overwhelming, and then to come back and was the veto surprising at that point for the families? No, we were in Washington, D.C. the the week before, um, you know, lobbying for it and meeting with members of Congress. And we were being told in all of the offices that we visited that we had the votes. Um, You know, nobody 
clearly in the Senate, nobody voted no. Every office we went into, they said, you know, we're voting yes, and from what we understand, all the votes are there. You're, you know, you're going to be fine. You're going to override the veto. And in the House, we had, um, you know, the same optimism. Um, we left on a Thursday at 5 o'clock. Oh, sorry. Turn that off. Um, <laughs> then there was, you know, one, I think, I don't remember which congressman it was, started to, you know, say a few things that maybe, you know, we needed to take a little bit more time with the bill, but it didn't, it didn't hold, you know, nobody said, okay, they still felt that the bill was vetted, it had come through judiciary without any, um, you know, more changes, they worked everything out, I mean, the bill had been negotiated with the State Department and with, um, you know, chairman of, of several committees, and finally it was just time, you know, it was just time. It had been 15 years, it was time to vote on the bill. And so now now what's happened with John McCain and Lindsey Graham? Because really, uh, reading your release about this, it just seems like it's not only uh, – the, the term that was used in the press release was stabbed in the back. But it doesn't just seem like stab in the back. It seems like it's a really sneaky thing. In other words, they're not just coming out and saying, "Oh, we don't really want to do this bill," but they're trying to they're trying to sort of weasel their way into gutting, taking out the heart of the bill. Is that the way that the your group feels about this? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what they were doing. Um, you know, they were trying to put something on. Um, you know, the omnibus bill or on our defense authorization bill, you know, they're just trying to sneak something in that would definitely um, turn everything around. And it's, it's the defense that the Saudis want to use, you know, this discretionary function. You know, they want to be able to say, and they, they actually have used it in the past, they want to be able to say that, as we said earlier, that, yeah, we, we, said, we gave money to terrorist organizations. Like, we're not going to deny it. Um, but what they did with it isn't our fault. And that's just not, simply not true. You give to a terrorist organization, you know that their intention is to carry out terrorist attacks. Um, it most certainly is your responsibility. Well, and, and so what have, what's the history of this? How did this come up and who's, who's behind it? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Sure, yeah. How, so how did this... How has this come up? So you had the big victory. You overrode the veto. Jasta was uh, seemed like you were home free. And so how has this developed? What's been happening? And who's behind it? Are, like we've talked about McCain and right. Graham. Well, are they okay, really so the, the Saudis people? have hired, I think, 14 uh, lobby firms and PR firms in the Washington, D.C. area. And they're spending upwards of $1.3 million a month to try and change our law that we've already enacted. Um, so they have this very strong lobbying presence in Washington, D.C., and, you know, they, their economic warfare is always one of those threats. They threaten to not um, work with us any longer to fight ISIS. Um, you know, they're empty threats. I mean, clearly, the economic one, they would financially ruin themselves, and we would barely be affected. Um, as far as the fight on ISIS goes, they need us more than we need them. So I don't see where that would ever come to fruition either. They're desperate to not 
be held accountable for the 9-11 attacks. And so they are using every tool they have, um, which is pressuring people. You know, the, the, the lobby firms are filled with people that used to work in Congress, so you've got people saying, you know, do me a solid. I, 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 I've taken this on, and I, I need you to, to help me, you know, help the Saudis. And once in a while, you know, these relationships go are very deeply embedded and tangled, and you'll see people like Senators McCain and Graham um, kind of start to say, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do for you, the lobbying firm, as opposed to sticking with the original vote that they voted yes when it passed out of the Senate. I mean, Senator Graham was an original co-sponsor on the bill when it was introduced seven years ago. He's been on the bill ever since. When it was being voted on to come out of the Senate back in May uh, earlier this year, he put a hold on the bill specifically to look at it close and make sure that everything was, you know, accurate and fine. And when he lifted the hold, that's sending a signal to the Senate that uh, I'd be fine with the bill. I have no problems. I have no issues here. Um, And the bill went forward. So to come around now and, and try to do this, um, you know, be very, very upsetting to the families, and we'll do everything we can to continue working with all of the really good people in Washington, D.C. that have stood by our side and supported the bill, our, our sponsors and our co-sponsors, and the body of the Congress that supported the bill when they voted yes. Now, have you had any other politicians other than Graham or McCain stick their neck out on this so far to, to try to gut this bill? Has, it, has anyone else showed up to? Uh... No, I have not um, been told that anyone else is, has made any efforts to um, introduce language to change anything about JASTA. And uh, they're gone now, you know, for the, for the winter recess, but I was – in contact with our sponsors prior, and nobody had any other um, indication anything else is coming forward. And have have either Graham or McCain responded to your criticism at all? No, they haven't. I have not um, seen any public statements. I, I have not seen um, anything else. Well, you know, they they were getting very close to leaving when they did this, so they were working hard to pass the CR before they left, and that's what they were trying to attach this to, and it didn't happen. Um, but no, I haven't heard anything from them. That, that's interesting. Now, it should be pointed out, too, you mentioned all the lobbying money. One of, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the lobbying firms who's been active in this is uh, Tony Podesta's lobbying firm, correct? That's the brother of John Podesta. Yes, yes that's one of them, yes. Run, yeah, running the Clinton campaign. That's one of the names. So so there is – the the lobbying effort is definitely bipartisan um, uh, uh, on this, where they're, they're trying to influence people. Um, now, what do you – have you seen – see, this is one of those things that's so unbelievable to me. I, you, you almost can't believe that it seems like such a bad, even a public relations move on – the part of the Saudis, but I don't see, I thought, I thought when I saw the 28 pages report 
And when I saw that JASTA uh, had passed, I thought that this would become a bigger issue in the camp in the presidential campaign. Um, but boy, the media does not seem to have really. They've given a lot more attention to a lot of other issues that I think are less important and significant. I mean, how do you guys feel about the media coverage you've gotten? Am I am I wrong? Oh, in you know, it, it, one time getting, cold, but. Once we started getting the momentum and the bill was going, you know, straight through, um, or so it seemed, I mean, we hit a bump with the veto, but we came back strong, the media really didn't touch it, really didn't want to, you know, other than publicize that his veto was overridden, they didn't really get into why it was overridden and what a success it was that we could now hold any nation accountable you know, if they finance or aid and abet a terrorist attack on U.S. soil, and how important this is going forward for our national security, that we now have this as a tool, you know, in our arsenal against our fight on terrorism. I mean, international terrorism is not going away. That if we can hold the financiers accountable, and you know, they have if they understand now that there's a serious consequence to your actions, uh, we hope in the long run, will be stemming the flow of money that goes to these terrorist organizations that continue to vow to kill and destroy us. I mean, JASTA is really an incredible, you know, anti-terrorism bill, you know, to to deter future attacks against us and and also giving the families the justice that we deserve. Um, You know, the the pain and the suffering of of what happened on 9-11 never goes away for my family or any of the families. Everybody suffers, you know, it's not daily, you know, every every holiday, every every up, every down, every our lives are bittersweet and they'll never be the same. And we don't want to see any other families, you know, have to suffer the way our families have. And and of course, unfortunately we know that it what it the the Saudi funding did not just end at 9/11. They did not learn a lesson and go, "Oops, well we we won't do that again." They've continued to fund these groups and to try to promote this ideology, which they have they have excuses for it now. But as you know, as you say, you know, you don't want to happen to other families. Unfortunately, it has because they continue to be funding these groups. And in fact, we've seen a resurgence of Al Qaeda. And other, you know, and other groups, we've seen an actual resurgence of them. So it's uh, probably because they weren't held accountable, I think. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, if, if if you, if nobody says, and if nobody, you know, um, penalizes you for your actions, if there's no consequences, of course you're going to continue. You know, this is what they want to do. They want to spread this ideology around the globe. They want to. Um, incite, you know, people. That, you know, even the lone wolf can be stopped if JASTA is effective and starts to stem the flow of money because they will not have the ability to recruit um, like they do now. And that's really what the families hope for in the long run that we will see um, the tide turn and that Saudi Arabia, who is the biggest funder, you know, will. Stop funding 
doesn't win a terrorist organization. I mean, if, they, if they don't stop it completely, they're going to stop, we hope, on a very large scale and really make a difference. Well, and we also know, for instance, that this is from the 28 pages, but we know this from, from a number of ways, that people like Al-Awlaki, for instance, who has been unquestionably, Al-Awlaki has been the major influence on the lone wolf terror attacks that we've seen from San Bernardino to the recent attack with a guy with a car and the gun who uh, attacked students at a, at a college to the pulse shooting to the Boston Marathon bombers. All of these people were influenced by al and he was, once again, part of the 9-11 attack. It, it, it sure seems he had direct connection with a couple of the hijackers. And he was an imam at these mosques and had gone over to Yemen and was working at a school uh, for terrorists, basically, in Yemen that was run by a guy who's with the Muslim World League, who was a major part of that Saudi-backed organization that they used to fund terror. And so, you know, like you mentioned, these lone wolf attacks, they're lone wolf attacks in that they're one person doing them or two people doing them. They're not a cell attack. But they don't come out of nowhere. They come out of, you know. Right, exactly. They do not come out of nowhere. And there's a network around these lone wolves that is, you know, that's never reported on or, you know, the investigation when they start investigating, you know, their laptops and their cell phones, you know, they have been in contact with someone that's probably recruited them a lot of times in a mosque. I'm not going to say always. I'm not saying every mosque is filled with them, but many, many, many are filled with people um, put in place you know, to recruit and to incite, and it's a very frightening thing. And, and again, if you go after the financing and the funders, and eventually this, you know, this lifeblood of, of money is dried up and gone, you won't have, you know, the ideology can't live without someone financially supporting it because terrorists don't have nine-to-five jobs. You know, they don't collect a paycheck. They are funded solely by the wealthy paymasters in the Middle East, um, namely mostly Saudi Arabia, but I'm sure there's other countries too. Um, but that is the goal, to dry up this money, this funding that fuels the evil ideology, you know, the hate-filled ideology. It takes an awful lot of hate to commit these heinous you know, acts against us, but it also takes a vast amount of money. Now, and, and and finally, how do you how does your group feel about the Trump presidency? Do you feel it's going to be helpful to to your goals of getting justice for the victims? Or yeah, if I was, if you had a camera on me right now, you'd see a big smile on my face. I actually do believe <laughs> um, we have a new administration. You know, I, I do believe Donald Trump is on our side. He has he did vocally you know support JASTA during the election. I know it didn't get a lot of coverage, but he certainly was in favor of it. And, you know, I'd like to be able to thank him personally, you know, someday. But I think uh, from, you know, times that I've listened to what he has, how he's spoken, that, you know, he believes there's a lot more to 9-11 than we've ever been told. And he is now the president of the, will be the president of the United States. And hopefully he will help us, you know, with our um, 
with our quest, you know, for more information and, and for further transparency. You know, we never got it out of the Obama administration. We were hopeful when he took office. We thought, okay, new president, new administration. He ran on transparency. We thought, okay, you know, we're going to get what we want. And we didn't. Um, we barely got the 28 pages. So I, I'm hoping that with this new administration, I'm very hopeful that he will continue to stand by our, our side and help us. That's great. Maybe maybe you'll get those other pages in the twenty eight pages, too, because because I do yeah. think you know it, it 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 is such a major issue, and I think unfortunately, as you say, once it was obvious that the Jasta bill was successful, the media just shut up about it. It was the same thing with the twenty eight pages. I couldn't believe they were released on a Friday, and by Monday there was no talk about them whatsoever. That I could see in the media, there was very, very little discussion of what had happened when the 28 pages came out, and it was like it had never happened at all. But we we keep hearing week after week about these Russian hackers, supposedly, and I would like to hear a little bit more about the Saudi Arabians and the role they may have played in the election, the role they've played certainly in trying to, to block this bill. So I really appreciate the effort from you guys on this. Um, oh. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I think that what the Saudis are doing with this lobbying campaign has got to border on criminal. Um, you know, lobbying with foreign nations, the ability for them to lobby in this country was supposed to be uh, to have their voice heard on a, on a specific, you know, topic or need or something, and they could hire a lobbying firm, and they would go into Washington, D.C., and they would say, okay, you know, we have a voice in this, and we'd like you to hear it. Um, but what they've done by hiring nearly 14 and, and 1.3 million, it's, it's been uh, it's blackmail, threats, you know, strong arming. Um, that's not what lobbying was meant to be with foreign nations. So I, I do believe there's something here that isn't kosher. Well, and, and finally, let me just ask you one more thing. Let's just keep it practical. What can people do if they want to make a difference on this? What can people do? Well, we have a website, um, pathjasta.org, and I'm sure we'll be updating it come January 1st. Right now it's pretty much filled with all of the success that we've had in, in you know, refuting, refuting um, Senator Kane and McCain and Graham, but they can reach out to their local congressperson, and if something comes out in the press that is, you know, about JASA, they can always voice their support for it. That's always helpful. Um, they can write op-eds or, or letters to the editor in favor once they go on the website and they feel that they've educated themselves enough to understand the need for this. I mean, our national security really is at risk here if we don't do something like this. And, and hold these financiers accountable. Um, so I would say follow the website, go to 28pages.org. That's another website that's fabulous. Um, and he also has places where you can, you know, write, we put up sample letters and give people, you know, how to do it and how to reach their congressperson and how to reach their senator. And they can then say it in any way they like. And do, you, do you think people should be putting pressure on McCain and Graham as well? Um, I think if they come out and 
offer any new amendment to the bill, um, then yes, definitely. And, and then that would be on the website immediately. You know, if something like that were to happen in the new year, in 2017, um, then we would say, ask people to please, you know, contact them and we would give out their office numbers and, and tell them, you know, if they, if they introduce legislation, we would have that legislation number, we would have the language of the legislation, you know, we would really inform you, and then yes, that's where they should put their pressure. And they can now. I mean, they're on recess, um, but yes, you could always call their Washington, D.C. office. If you're, if you're in their district, you can call, you know, your, them as a constituent. Um, but this bill is for all Americans, and you can call your own and ask them to thank them for supporting it and ask them to please continue. That's great. Terry Stroud, thanks very much uh, for your work uh, looking for justice here. It's a, it's a big issue, and, and as I told you, I was, I was thrilled to have you on because I, it's an issue that I've been following, writing quite a bit about at Breitbart News, and uh, I, I do think it's just gotten swept under the rug, so I appreciate your diligence uh, on this for all the families and for the rest of the country. Terry Stroud, thanks very much. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. That was Terry Stroud. And again, boy, that's a that's a big issue and it's just a stunning she used the phrase uh on their release, stabbed in the back. And there's no question what that is. I mean you, you want to talk about an issue here where John McCain, this is what I was saying before, and I knew we'd have these guests talking about this. Takeaways from the Number one, a person who's a complete fraud who almost brought us to war with Syria, like open war, like shooting missiles into the country. As David Raboy said, turns out she's a fraud. She's immediately hired by John McCain. Stunner number one. Stunner number two. John McCain and Lindsey Graham working against the bill on behalf of Saudi Arabia, explicitly on behalf of Saudi Arabia, working to take the guts out of a bill to make sure that families and the 9-11 victims can finally get some justice, and as Terry pointed out, so that the kingdom of Saudi Arabia can finally be held accountable. That's really the issue here. I have kids. Do you have kids? I got a bunch of kids. I think I have 94 kids. I could Again, that number could be off. I'm not looking at my notes. But I get a lot of kids. I have five kids at home right now. Here's what I know about kids. Number one, they're loud. Number two, see number one. But number three, they're very loud. And number four, this maybe should be number one. But you have to hold kids accountable. This is just simple. Even if you don't have kids, maybe you've got a business. Try this. Try this simple test. If you have a business, try this. Tell your employees you will keep paying them whether they show up or not. Just say to them, look, we're going to do a new system here. I'm going to give you a shift. I'm going to say, look, we need you to come into these hours. But if you don't show up, I'm still going to give you the same paycheck, no matter whether you show up to work or not. Right? Try that little experiment in socialism. See how well that will go for you. And you're all alone pretty quickly. You're going to be all alone. And this is the simplest thing in the world. This is, by the way, the reason I'm mocking socialism. You know, of course, it's easy to mock something that's caused so much death and devastation. But the reason I'm 
here is when you remove accountability from human behavior, don't be shocked when people act like there was no accountability involved. And so the big issue here for Saudi Arabia is they have literally not been held accountable. I touched on that in my interview with Terry Stroud. But let's emphasize this point. They have not been held accountable at any point. And so since they haven't been held accountable, shockingly, they've acted like they haven't been held accountable. They've kept doing the same thing that they were doing that was a bad thing. If you've got kids and your kid does something like, let's say they throw a television set. That can happen. They're very light now. Not the kids, the TVs. Let's say they throw a television set and you don't say, hey, stop throwing that television set. My guess is there will be TV sets hurtling back and forth because let's face it, they're fun to throw. They are fun. It's a bit of a workout. I'll have more on this in our closing minutes coming right up. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. By all first mention, uh, Lee Stranahan. Cuddly. He's my friend. Yeah, he got thrown out of the club. For reporting stories that were being suppressed. Radio Stranahan. I did. That was my friend Andrew Breitbart a few years ago talking about me. He points out that I'm cuddly. I'm not only America's finest reporter, but I am cuddly. That's another word for fat, by the way. Just so you know, just to be clear on why I got my diabetes, that's why. I would say husky. I would say husky more than fat, perhaps. If I'm trying to lie to myself, I would say husky. But Andrew said cuddly, so I'll go with that. Fluffy, not a word you want to apply to yourself as a man, but okay. Fluffy, very possibly. Got a few minutes left, 619-924-0786. That number again, 619-924-0786. If you want to get on the line and talk about something in the eight minutes or so we have remaining. Otherwise, I'll just keep talking about how fat I am. That's the threat. Oh, look, the phone lines lit up. No, they haven't. I just imagined that I would say, we'll keep talking about how fat I am, and then like nine lines light up. But two big interviews today, and let's tie this all back full circle. Really, if we had to sum up today's show, it would be John McCain. It's interesting how McCain, John McCain is like the Forrest Gump of Islamic apologist. That's my new, that's, that'll be my new bumper sticker phrase. John McCain, the Forrest Gump of Islamic apologist. Life is like a box of jihad. John McCain's the guy who, as I say, he's the go-to guy. And here's the way they use McCain. The media is so predictable on this stuff, so, oh, so predictable. If you, I haven't done this, but if you were to Google the phrase, even Republicans like John McCain, I'll bet you'd find a lot of examples of that because the freaking that they use. 
when and Lindsey Graham is part of that too. They're a dynamic duo. I've got a new. You know what? I, I think I'm going to go with a new phrase for John McCain and Lindsey Graham. They're the ambiguously Republican duo. That's my new phrase for them. So when you have an issue that only Democrats are going on, like this rehash of the Republican, of forgive me, of the supposed Russian hacking scandal, when you have an issue that it is just Democrats harping about, you need the ambiguously Republican vote of John McCain and Lindsey Graham. That's who you need to call on. They have a vehicle that's shaped like a phallic-shaped sword, I think. It's technically a scimitar, if we want to get into our sword play. And by the way, sword play, that's the sort of slightly gay reference right there in and of itself. Not that I'm implying anything. I'm not saying anything about Lindsey Graham, but there are questions. I'm just asking questions. But the point is, Graham and McCain are the even Republicans, that's the phrase, there's a macro that the media has, even Republicans, like, over and over and over again. If you look at the Huma Abedin story, for instance, when valid questions were being raised, completely valid questions, which, by the way, have never been answered. That's the thing that you need to know about these questions. They've never been answered. And even when I've done work that I've done at Breitbart, pointing out the clear, provable, 100% connection between Huma Abedin and the Muslim World League, which is the very vehicle used to fund terrorism by the Saudi Arabians. You see anything ties in? This is like a big – this episode is layers. It's layered like a biscuit. Can you tell I'm fat, by the way, with all the food references? You probably can. So you see how this stuff all comes full circle, circular like a biscuit. See, they're both – everything I think of now reminds me of a biscuit. I can't, and I can't eat a biscuit because it's high in carbohydrates, and so I can't, I can't have a biscuit. I can't even have pigs in blankets. I can have the pig, but no blanket, which is another fat reference, but I digress. The point here is, even the Humabedin story that I've reported on extensively, there's never been answers to it. Clearly, Humabedin has connections to the Muslim world league. Since her mother, brother, father, sister, and her all worked for it in the form of the Institute for Muslim Minority Affairs, which is in the same office as the Muslim world league, the Muslim world league who funded terrorism, according to Hillary Clinton. And I've written about that. So when questions were raised, hey, maybe we should ask some questions about the Secretary of State's hot top aide having connections to terror funding. I don't know, because that seems a little weird. It seems a little weird that, that the Secretary of State's top aide would have been involved in funding terror. It just seems strange to us. When people were asking those questions, of course, Democrats like Keith Ellison, well, we, we don't want to have anything to do with it. It's a conspiracy theory. But even John McCain, see, there's that phrase again. Even John McCain sprung to the defense of whom Abedin. 
So this is the point of John McCain, apparently, at this point, is to defend – there's a number of things we could call him, John Al McCain, maybe, John Alcane. Picture the little AL and a dash after that. He does, he does live in the only climate hotter than Saudi Arabia. He lives in Arizona, works, works in Arizona. I don't know how much time he spends there. He's more of a D.C. person, but I'm sure he's got a nice palatial estate with all his wife's money. By the way, you knew that about John McCain, right? I didn't even get into the personal stuff about John McCain, like the way he dumped his wife when she was, had cancer. Did I even talk about that? I think I skipped that part. This could be why Megan McCain blocked me. So I skipped all the personally. Did I talk about all the jets that he destroyed when he was a, a fighter pilot? They personally destroyed jets, like three of them at least. I could be low, could be high, but it's around three. And from hot dogging. No, hot dogging, it's not another gay reference. Stop. Get that out of your head. I don't know what's going on with you, but get that out of your head. No, he was hot dogging. There could be a whole Top Gun thing. Everything, it's at the end of the show and everything is turned into vaguely phallic references. Swords and hot dogs and Lindsey Graham. You see the connection. Again, it's like a biscuit, a delicious buttery biscuit. But every time this stuff has come up with McCain, he's always defending the wrong side. And I do wonder, what difference would it have made in 2008 if Obama or McCain had won? I think there are some differences. I think the community organizer left was helped out a lot more by Obama. But it's hard to say. John McCain, also part of the Gang of Eight. Remember them? That bipartisan group of people proving that even Republicans like John McCain, see there's that phrase again. When it comes to wanting to open borders, the Democrats are in favor, but even Republicans like John McCain and his ambiguous friend, Lindsey Graham, not part of the Gang of Eight, but he sort of was like hop along, I think. Maybe he was. Was Graham part of the Gang of Eight? I don't even remember. Because Lindsey Graham, the chief thing about him is he seems to have no discernible personality. McCain has crashed jets and left his sick wife. Graham just sort of has no discernible personality. He did serve, though. He served in the Navy, so thank you for your service, Lindsey Graham. But And thank you for your service, John McCain, including being held captive. Can't imagine but that doesn't really let you off the hook now. We'll have more tomorrow. Big guest tomorrow, Sebastian Gorka. Till next time, I'm Lee Stranahan. You've been listening to Radio Stranahan. Have a great day. Love you. Bye.